0: All right, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 1. And uh, for all the multitaskers in the room, I want to invite you to do something while you're doing that. Look in the Bible with Revelation chapter 1. But as you're doing that, uh, every week we have people tuning in, sometimes 20, 30, 40, or 50 people of service at times. And some of those people come in on one television, and it's a big group of them, some brothers and sisters in Christ that we have at the Eunice City Jail and other places that people can't physically be here but love being a part of this church. We call them our online congregation. Could you be real loud and make sure that they know how grateful we are that they're joining us? All right, well, welcome to our new series on... Revelation, the book you read your children as they try to go to sleep at night. Revelation. Uh, Revelation has a little bit of a bad name, but it's not because the book is bad. It's because people are. And uh, and and there's been some interesting things said about this book. There's some uh, interesting interpretations of this book. There are some illegitimate opinions of this book. There are some TikTok theologians that think they know more than people with PhDs at seminary. There are some YouTube yoo-hoos that like to get on and say with absolute certainty things that guys in ladies and, and gentlemen in, 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 in seminary, Bible colleges, and graduate school can't agree on. But they know. They figured it out. And they are tick-tocking their way into your thoughts and I just want to come and help you today to identify the difference between biblical absolute and individual opinion here's a biblical absolute revelation means apocalypse that's the Greek word apocalypse now For most of my life, when I heard that word, it sounded like this, apocalypse, apocalypto, apocalypsis. It makes me think of scary images of dragons and beasts, like some so-called Christians dress their children up like on October 31st. That's another sermon for another day. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay. Apocalypse is actually just a Greek word. It doesn't mean death. It doesn't mean fire consuming the earth and all the pagans finally being held captive. Apocalypse just means revealed. It's not scary. It's actually encouraging. The word apocalypse or apocalypsis, it means to unveil. You ever prayed for somebody ignorant to have the veil removed? I have. No, none of y'all, of course. None of, none of you. I just pray, God, remove the veil of ignorance from this person in front of me right now. It's in the vehicle, not like it to their face. I wouldn't say that to their face. I just pray about them. Come on, that's, that's funny. All right. I think the book of Revelation is essentially... The book of Revelation is essentially Jesus making sure that people have a a final memory of him, right? It's it's like a last picture, right? I'm going to come back to that. But I, I think the book of Revelation, and this is fun, I think the book of Revelation is Jesus saying, look at me now. Hey, you saw me on the cross. You saw me in the grave. You saw how I dealt with people. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is who I came to be. Come on, but this is who I am. Jesus is... Revelation to the church, Jesus' unveiling to the church was, yeah, this is what I came to do, but this is who I am for you. Come on, that's that's good stuff. I think the church, and I'm gonna hurt myself a little bit today, but I, I think the church needs a uh, look at me now mentality. Now I'm not talking about spiritual arrogance, I'm talking about people used to know you one way, people used to see you one way, you used to behave in a certain manner, you used to talk tolerate certain things. You used to tell stories that you thought were amusing. You used to watch. But look who I am now. When you hadn't seen somebody in several years, you might have known me this way, but look at me now. I think people need to begin to see a revelation of who God's called you to be, not just what God has called you to stop being. I'll preach it better in a minute. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 3, let me just say this as we read this scripture. We don't really know Jesus until we see him in the book of Revelation. If you remove the book of Revelation, then you have an unfulfilled version of who Jesus really is. It's not until you receive the revelation... The unveiled apocalypse that you can really see the fullness of who Jesus is. It's incomplete. This New Testament is incomplete without this book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. When is the last time you read the Bible out loud? Well, that didn't get a great response. (laughs) It should be an everyday kind of a thing. Or at least aim for every day and hit a few. Come on. Blessed is he who reads the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Underline that if you have a pen or highlight it if you're looking at it on a digital Bible. And blessed are those who hear. All right. If you didn't read it this week, guess what? You still blessed because you hear. Like because both. See how Southerners do that? We just we skip words and we just let it speak for itself. You're blessed because you hear, and when you hear, you blessed. You don't need to go out and ask for the blessing. You're already receiving it because you made a decision to be here and to hear. The word of the Lord and oh man I wish he'd have just stuck with those other two because I just like reading the Bible and listening to other people preach about it and who keep it's it's like God's disclaimer it's everywhere and who keep what is written in it for the time is near all right this one's separated unintentionally but it serves a great purpose the time is near, like for real. It's really, really near. How near is it? It's two thousand years nearer than it was when this was written. Like, right? well, they've been saying that for two thousand years. Yeah, you're right. The apostles thought Jesus was coming back. You're right. The first church thought Jesus was coming. Yeah, you're right. The Protestant church thought Jesus. Yeah, you're right. They thought Jesus was coming back in the 60s because the world was about to break out in nuclear war and there was this sexual immorality spreading like wildfire across the world. Yeah, you're right. They did think he was... They thought that they had 88 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 1988. And then they thought for sure, according to the Mayan calendar. What do the Mayans know? What is wrong with... All right, anyways, according to the Mayan calendar, he's coming back on this date. And then in 2020, these are the first four horses coming at all the same time. No, these are ponies compared to what's coming, friend. (laughs) He's got to be coming back. Every generation thought Jesus was coming back, right? All right, here is the key to every generation thinking that Jesus is coming back. If your neighbor's sleepy, bump him, this is important. The key to every generation thinking that Jesus is coming back, you ready? Let me try, are you ready? Somebody's right. Somebody's right. And whatever generation is right about his return, that generation better be ready because the time is near and that's why we're preaching on this book because I want you to know Jesus in his fullness I don't need a church full of people that have an incomplete idea of who Jesus is and I need a church full of people that understand that they are probably the generation and Jesus could come back at any time It is his imminent return. I'll talk more about that next week. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. What is the importance of prophecy? God help me uh, be efficient right here. The importance of prophecy is, I think, number one, that 25% of this book is made up of prophecy. 25% of this book is prophecy. In my book, I have this little English Standard Version that is getting beat to tar because I use it to preach so much. I don't even really read from it as much anymore. I just leave it up here, and it's, it's just going through the ringer with me. My Bible has 1,042 pages in it. 25%, that's over, two, over 250 pages in my Bible are just prophecy. I think prophecy is important. Listen, don't be afraid of prophecy because of illegitimate prophets. Don't be afraid of spiritual gifts because of unspiritual people. Don't be afraid of what's in the Bible. I don't have time to preach all that or give you the illustration that I'm thinking of. I'm sure I'll do it soon. But stop throwing parts of God's word out in unbelief Because of some illegitimate individual. His word is the same. Come on, people are stupid, but his word is the same. Well, those people are weird. No, they were weird without the word. God's trying to help them. His word is not weird. People are weird. I'm trying to help somebody today. This is 25% of this book is prophecy. 25% of this book is about things that had not happened when they were told. That's prophecy. Prophecy has some characteristics. Prophecy reveals the nature of God. It is not God's will to whip you. What parent likes beating their child? If you do, there's something wrong with you. I don't like whipping my children. I, I don't even like the way it makes me feel afterwards, especially if I do it out of anger as a reaction instead of like a chosen response. My parents used to say ignorant stuff to me like, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I don't think so. All right, you bend over. Let's see. You know. <laughs> But now as a parent, like, I get it. Like, I don't like it. I have actually tried to talk my son into taking a nap instead of getting whipped. He wanted to get whipped. You've lost your mind. I'm about to prove a point to you. I wound up. I didn't want to. Okay, I get that from my heavenly father. Our heavenly father always gives a warning before he pours out his wrath. Because he wants you to heed the warning. I, I, before we went on a trip this past week, and, and I'm so grateful for a church that is, is behind us predominantly. I'm sure some people had a little bit of a, a, a displeasure with it. But a church that's behind me making a decision to take our entire staff to a conference to be invested in and poured in for three days. And, and I'll, that's all I'll say about that. Thank you thank you we needed we needed to worship we needed to receive the word we needed to just go and receive without any responsibility for a couple of days we came back more like jesus because you allowed us to go before we left i gathered my children in the living room and i said hey i'm no prophet but i'm about to give you a prophecy <laughs> this is your warning grand is coming And I love Gran, but I don't like it when she calls me about you. This is your warning. You need to get along with one another for the next three days. Pretend I am watching you on FaceTime. This is your warning. Because there's not going to be another one if I get a phone call. This is your warning. This is prophecy. The next thing that happens is wrath. I need you to heed the warning. Come on, hear the the words of your heavenly Father. I need you to heed the warning because if you don't heed the warning, the only other option is that you catch the wrath. But it is the will of God, come on, that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Every single one of us. That's why predestination only, Calvinism alone, and this over-educated reformed theology thing that is confounding people across this country. That's why this is a myth. Because there's just one scripture that makes it an absolute atrocity. And in the scripture, it says, it is the will of God. Like, let's not mess that up. It is the will of God that none, none, no one should perish. So prophecy, it actually reveals the nature of God. Prophecy provides proof of biblical accuracy. I'm going to come back to that one. Prophecy tells of the things that are to come. Prophecy tells of the things that are to come. In John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus begins to give us the revelation of who the Holy Spirit is. By the way, Holy Spirit is not some kind of supernatural force that you experience when you start shaking a lot. The Holy Spirit is his name. That's his name, like Jesus. Like, if you're okay with Jesus, then you have to be okay with Holy Spirit. You don't have to be okay with hokey people, but you have to be okay with Holy Spirit. It's like the book of Revelation. Just because people have misinterpreted the book and or him doesn't mean he's not real. Doesn't mean the book's not right. Okay, so Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit has three responsibilities. There's more, but I just, I'll break it down. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is remind you of the things that Jesus said. Like when you need him to. Like out in public when it's not coming to you. And somebody tries to confront you outside of God's Word or argue with you about things that are in God's Word or challenge the Spirit that dwells within you and how you behave or how you're supposed to behave. And Holy Spirit, that's His name, will remind you of the things that Jesus has said in that moment. When you're tempted to do something that God's already delivered you, I ain't got time to preach all that. Holy Spirit will remind you of things that Jesus has said. Then the Bible says, Holy Spirit will guide you. I need that. He will guide you into all truth. Notice, all truth. He will guide you into all truth. I'll come back to that in a minute because there are some partial truths out there that can confuse you. In fact, that's what the devil does. I'll come back to it. He will guide you. And then, and then, this is the one. We need this. He will tell us of the things that are yet to come. Like Pastor Dylan gave me this illustration. His mama had Holy Spirit in his house. And Holy Spirit would tell his mama about things that she wasn't supposed to know. And now today, because my wife has Holy Spirit... She tells our children I have holy spirit and holy spirit lets me know things that you need to tell me and holy spirit tells me things that you need to know and holy spirit gives me warnings in my spirit when you want to do something but I don't have a settling from holy spirit that you are able I'm so, we need holy spirit because John told us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, this is just a reference, that we know a God who knows all things. And if we know a God who knows all things, then we can connect to a God who can tell us anything. Amen. Things that have, things that are, and things that will be prophecy isaiah chapter 46 verse 9 why am i spending so much time on prophecy because the third verse of this book says blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy verse 9 says remember the former things of old for i am god there is no other god knows your tomorrow better than you remember your yesterday Let me say that for the other 200 people in the room. God knows your tomorrow better than you remember your yesterday. If I were to ask three people, take my headset, put it up beside their mouth, it'd be weird. They'd feel awkward. And I said, what'd you do yesterday? They'd go, uh, um, God don't, uh, um. He doesn't even remember. He just knows. It just, it just comes because it's who he is. He is truth. He knows truth. Not just yesterday, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. You serve a God that is unlike any other idea of any other God. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning. So he knows the end just as well as he remembers and knows the beginning. And from ancient times... Things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. Okay, and this one's important. And I will. Now, that's exciting and intimidating because God is saying, I will through His prophet, who was extremely accurate, by the way, erroneously accurate. I will will accomplish all. Somebody say all. That's cute. Now everybody say all. I will accomplish all. And if you didn't say all, you have a spirit of rebellion that needs to be dealt with. I'm serious. Not because I'm the man, but because God has positioned in this message an opportunity for you to respond If you won't respond when everybody responds, how are you ever going to respond when nobody responds? God said, I will accomplish all my purpose. Now, it's not a matter of whether God's going to do what he wants. It's just a matter of whether you choose to be a part of it. God's going to do what he wants. He will accomplish all. And that's why this is part of our Our mission over here is that everybody would know Jesus. Everybody. And we set up systems and structures and groups. And we have services and plan things. We're trying to get people connected to Jesus. Because for so long, that's all I knew to do. Get saved. Get saved. You're going to hell. Get saved. You're going to hell. Get saved. Get saved so you don't go to hell don't go to hell so you get saved i mean just get saved get saved get saved okay i got it now what no i don't i just keep doing it every week okay well then after you begin to know jesus you find freedom you discover your purpose you don't just pay people to do ministry you become a minister you begin to do the ministry you begin to be a part of accomplishing all of God's will, not just watching somebody else do it. But you go to the hospitals, you go to your workplace, you go on to the construction site, you go to the firehouse, you go to the schoolhouse. How many of you know we need Jesus in the hallways? He puts you there. This is the revelation. Jesus wants us to remember him in his fullness. This is prophecy. Why do I need revelation? Why do I need prophecy? Because there is a counterfeit Christianity that has led to the altogether rejection of Christianity. In other words, hear me, today's problems are a result of yesterday's tolerance today's rebellion is a result of yesterday's complacency. Pastor Robert Madu, I heard him, he preached it better than me. I won't try to re-preach it. You can go check it out and find it. I don't even know where to tell you. Instagram, there was a clip. He said, the devil doesn't come to you and tell a bald-faced lie. He comes to you and tells you part of the truth. He gives you a partial, he gives you a tidbit because he wants you to make a small decision that leads you to ultimate destruction. Come on, here's the good news. God makes you, wants you to make a small adjustment that leads to ultimate eternity. And if you'll just continue to make the small adjustments all along the way, instead of walking in this counterfeit Christianity and being okay with it. Come on, we have people that profess Christ, but they don't possess the spirit of Christ. They're content, not no matter their circumstances, they're content in staying in their struggle. They're content in being complacent. They have a, a cross around their neck, but they cuss with their mouth. It don't make no sense. they got crucifix over the hallway and liquor in their cabinets. It don't make no sense. Why well, That didn't go over very well. <laughs> they hold the word of God. And have more access to this book than any generation has ever had before. And yet they are more biblically ignorant and illiterate than any generation has ever been. Because they call listening to the word of God spending 90 seconds on somebody's reel. And it ain't real we got access to the word of God, but we don't spend any time in it, so the words that come out of our mouth are just as filled with whining and I can't get no help on this side, I'm going to go over here just as filled with whining and complaining and woe is me as the world that we're supposed to be leading to heaven but we want what they want and we have what they have and we invest in what they invest in and we get mad at a preacher when he tells us that we shouldn't be like them, we have this book but we're not living this book so we're walking out of the blessing because we're not keeping what the word says is a blessing why do we need revelation and prophecy you ever prayed for somebody ignorant I did it a lot all you got to do is spend about 10 minutes on I-10 i 10 Go to a family reunion. (laughs) Have a meeting with a group of pastors. My God, help us, Lord. And and here's, I've prayed for people like, God, remove the veil of arrogance. Remove the veil of ignorance. God, remove the veil of complacency. God, remove the veil of pride where all they see is what other people are doing wrong. And, oh, Lord, God, help me to be like Paul, that I don't preach this gospel and miss it myself. We need revelation. We need prophecy because Jesus Christ has been resurrected for over 2,000 years. And the first four chapters of this book are about the church age that we currently reside in. We are currently still in a dispensation of grace. But the days of this dispensation will come to a conclusion. And there will be a new day. And there will be a new age. And that new age begins in Revelation chapter 5 and 6 and 7. And it goes up until about chapter 18. And in verse 19, we begin to see a new beginning, a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, and a new people. And I don't want to be a goat whenever I stand before God. Come on, somebody. I want to walk in his glory now while i still can daniel set the stage in prophecy daniel chapter 7 through 9 you can go read and study that i don't have time to get into that in this series if you want more of this book i highly recommend dr jim bradford we're going to actually put together a resource list god help us put together a resource list for you where you can just scan a QR code throughout this series and see and find, study more from trusted sources, because there's all kinds of crazy out there. In fact, if you come across anybody that tells you that they know everything that this book means, and I'm just talking about the, the book of Revelation, then you just need to turn them off, because those people are selling you short to some other options and some other things that the undetermined could be. Dr. Jim Bradford, Dr. Jim Bradford has a PhD in rocket science. Well, it ain't rocket science. No, but if it was, Dr. Jim Bradford could interpret it for you. He's the pastor of Central Assembly of God in um, Springfield, Missouri. Dr. Jim Bradford did a series on Revelation in 2020. He goes more into detail. Daniel set the stage. Jesus Christ built the structure in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. And John filled it with the specifics. Biblical prophecy, biblical prophecy is the proof of the absolute accuracy of God's word. Biblical prophecy is the proof of what Paul wrote to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen, that all Scripture is inspired by God. All Scripture is God breathed. It's pneuma. See, without, without the breath of God, you're a dirt body. You were created from the dust. You return back to the dust. But because of the breath of God, there is a spirit dwelling within your dirt body. And that spirit cries out to his spirit. And there's a conscience inside of you, Romans chapter 1 and 2. And if it weren't for the conscience inside of you and the grace of God on the outside of you, then you would still be a dirt body headed to death and destruction. But because of the Spirit, I'm getting too far into it, God gives us biblical proof. His prophecies, and by the way, there is not a prophecy left that needs to come to pass before Jesus can come back. Not one. Every pastor, teacher, theologian, Jewish historian, Messianic Jew, everybody that I have heard, Baptists, Pentecostals, Assemblies of God, Protestants, Catholics alike, there's not a prophecy that has to come to pass for Jesus to return. It's all been fulfilled. The odds of that happening are 1 over 87 With 93 zeros. That's the odds. If you'll just see, I don't have enough screen to put 93 zeros behind 87. But that's the odds of this book being as accurate as it has already been. How many of you know if something is that accurate, we might want to start doing what it says. For everybody else that didn't agree with that, I highly encourage that you jump on that wagon. Every scripture, in fact, in 1914, the Assemblies of God, and I'm not saying we're the only one that's got it right. I'm just saying the Assemblies of God is the group of individuals that came together and added doctrine to the charismatic movement. There was a revival that broke out before the the turn of the century in Topeka, Kansas. That revival spread across over to Azusa Street in the state of California, and the Assemblies of God came together 10 years after the Azusa Street revival and began to bring doctrine. The first fundamental truth of that doctrine was that the Word of God is inspired by the breath of God. The Bible is our authority. Oh, I'll go too far if I'm not careful. But I need you to understand that this book is the absolute authority. There is no other authority. There's no preacher. I'll throw myself under the bus. There's no pastor. There's no apostle. There's no prophet. There's no evangelist. There's no priest. There's no brother. There's no sister. There's no father. Can't get no help. There's no mother. There's nobody and no other book that's supposed to go up beside this book. And if there's something in another book, that doesn't coincide with what's in this book, then that book is in rebellion to this book because heaven and earth shall pass away, but the word of God shall never pass away. This book is the absolute authority and prophecy is what proves it. Okay? So prophecy should bring, if that's the case, then prophecy should bring, bring clarity to the Christian. We shouldn't be confused and we shouldn't be confusing Prophecy should bring clarity and comfort and peace to the believer. So, in the midst of a coming economic meltdown, we should still have clarity and comfort. Come on, even though our our politician doesn't get elected. And by the way, we have a table set up for you. I love Jimmy's t-shirt back there. Vote and pray, pray and vote. People died for you to vote. Get off your butt and go vote. It's your civic responsibility to be a part of this process. If you don't contribute to the process, then you can't complain about what... I ain't got time to preach. That's not even what I'm trying to say. There's a coming global economic meltdown. There's a recession on the way, and it's a recession that's greater than any recession that's ever been in. But you still serve a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hilltops and the minerals underneath the hill. So the world can go into a recession, but I'm building a building. The world can go into an economic meltdown, but my God's going to provide according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to do what God tells me to do, no matter what's happening outside of this building because I got a prophecy come on somebody gave me a word I heard the voice of the Lord and my word from God is not dependent upon what happens in the world so there's a nuclear crisis coming to pass in the Middle East the United States is turning their head away from Israel there is a falling away that happens in the church there's a one world government coming to pass there's a one world economy they're trying to get rid of all the coins and all the dollars and turn everything to digital so that they can control. i got news for them. You can try to control all you want to. I know the one who's in charge of what you're trying to control. And the prophecy that comes from the presence of God is greater than any unprecedented evil that hits this earth. Let me just speak to something real quick. Could we as a church... In fact, you know what? We're just going to shift gears. There's a shift coming in this church. The shift is that we're going to correct every single person that thinks that God saved them to escape. We're going to correct every individual that thinks God saved them just so they could be set up from heaven for heaven. God didn't save you so you could just escape. That's part of the process. But we're not going to be a church that escapes. I got this for three days at a conference. Well, don't come back home from a conference and preach different. I preached this way last week. I'm just going to keep preaching it. There's not an escape just for the individuals that were placed in the the rock of Jesus Christ and the cleft of the rock and the shadow of the Almighty. Can we be the church? In fact, we're just going to be, we're going to shift into the next gear. See, the escape is the first gear. Salvation is the first gear. And some Christians spend their whole lives going... like a child that doesn't know how to shift. Bump your neighbor and tell him there's a shift. We're not going to look to escape any longer. God has called us to establish. Come on, somebody. We're not just escaping to get to his kingdom. I'm preaching it so hard, some of you aren't even hearing it. We're not just escaping to get to his kingdom. We're establishing his kingdom while we're still here. We're establishing his kingdom on the football field. We're establishing His. Kingdom in the classroom. We're establishing His kingdom in Baton Rouge. We're establishing His kingdom in the hospitals. We're establishing His kingdom in the nursing home. Wherever God puts you that I don't get to go, you serve the same God that I do, and He puts you there on the power lines, in the office, at the end of that farm to be a part of establishing His kingdom. Not just escaping all the mess. That he sent us to be a part of cleaning up. I just gave you three days of six sermons. We're called to endure, we overvalue the escape. And we got a bunch of people who are saved and so called filled with the Spirit with their feet propped up in the air, waiting on Jesus to come get them. Come on, their lamps are empty. They're filled with wine and not the Holy Spirit. I can't get no help over here, I'm gonna go to this side. They don't wanna move a God, they want Mardi crawl. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the culture engagement. Of something that's entertaining but you can be entertained and you can have fun without sin if you can't you better stay home till you can if you can't walk into the darkness and have more of an effect on the darkness than the darkness does on you then you better go spend more time in the light because God anointed you to establish the kingdom We overvalue the escape, and we undervalue the endurance. This book, Revelation, I'll give you some details. Well, what did he mean when he saw a great giant wasp? I don't know. Who cares? Well, what does the sixth bowl of judgment actually actually represent? I don't know. I'm not going to be here. You can stay. I'm going in the first wave. I don't know who's gonna pastor you. Somebody that realizes they should have been living for Jesus while they had a chance. See, this book is about me being encouraged to endure, to evangelize. This book, the book of Revelation, well, what's gonna happen? What does this mean? What does that mean? It doesn't matter. I mean, we could give some ideas. I'll give you some interpretations throughout the next few weeks. But here's what you need to know about the book of Revelation. Jesus is coming back. And when he gets here, you better be doing what he said. That's it. Close the book. Let's go home. That's Verse 10, John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. That's hilarious. By the way, John didn't say, I was on the baseball field on the Lord's Day, you know, because my child is going to be the next major league baseball player. Even though there's a less than 2% chance the kid's even going to get a scholarship, much less become a major leaguer. I, I actually know a little bit about that. If you want to know, have more information, I'd be happy to give it to you. John didn't say, I was on the lake on the Lord's Day. John didn't say, yeah, but it's the first week in the squirrel season. <laughs> I listened to you online. Did you worship while you were online or you just sat in? Spectator or participator? I don't want to be a tater. Come on, somebody. A... John wasn't in the deer stand. I don't, Nothing wrong with being in the deer stand. I like deer stands. I like shooting deer out of deer stands more than I like. Right? You put whatever you want to. John said, I was in the spirit. John was alone on the Isle of Patmos. I'm sorry, no, he wasn't. He was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. But he wasn't alone. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. (laughs) And Jesus took a trumpet. That's funny. See, I'm like Jesus. Every time I scare somebody, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. My man is in the Spirit. Jesus comes up behind him with a loud voice like a trumpet. John's spirit jumped out of his body and came back in. And then he says, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Jump with me to verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. Well, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna, you ain't gonna do nothing. I don't like what some of these guys say, but I'm telling you right now, you are going to melt like wax before a fiery furnace when you get to heaven. That's all you're going to do when you get there. I wish, well, if God would reveal himself to me, then you die. Because you're not ready for his revelation. The apostle John fell at his feet as though he was dead. But thank God. He laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last. The living one. Would y'all get Jesus off the cross for the love of God? He ain't still up there. Would you come down off the cross? I know. To those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness, but to those who believe the cross is the power of God, I get it. But it's what the cross represents. He ain't on the cross anymore. He's not in the grave anymore. I hurt myself trying to preach that. Jesus said, I'm the living one. I died. Yeah, I died. I did it on purpose. But behold. Come on, every time you get down, behold. Every time you get depressed, behold. Every time you get anxious, behold. Every time you get scared, behold. Every time you get overwhelmed, behold. Every time you can't pay a bill, behold. Every time you can't see the future, behold. Every time the world starts collapsing in on you, behold. I am alive forever. See, we got too many people trying to leave Jesus on the cross. And that's what was happening in the early church. The last main picture that the Jews had of Jesus was in Jerusalem on the cross. He was murdered by the Romans. Everybody didn't see him in the tomb. Everybody didn't see him resurrected 40 days afterwards. Only about 500 people did. So Jesus gave John a revelation that, yeah, I was on the cross, but I ain't no more. Come on, I just went southern on y'all. Jesus was on the cross, and on the cross, he was naked and ashamed. But in Revelation, he's clothed with a garment and girded in gold. On the cross, his head was covered in blood, and he was blinded by the punishment of our sin. But in the book of Revelation, though his sin was like scarlet, he didn't even sin, but he became sin on purpose, and his hair was white like wool. He was blinded by the punishment of all things that he received on that cross. And yet in the book of Revelation, his eyes were like a flaming fire. On the cross, his feet were pierced. But in Revelation, his feet are like brass. On the cross, his voice is so parched from thirst that he needs just a sip, just a taste of something that would allow him to declare to the world that it is finished. But in the book of Revelation, his voice is as the sound of many rushing waters. On the cross, his hands were were riven and his mouth spoke with agony but in the book of revelation he holds the seven stars of the churches and from his mouth comes a double-edged sword that will pierce the nations on the cross his countenance was death but in the book of revelation he's walking in the countenance of the resurrection and his glory is like the sun and the shining thereof get jesus off the cross And stop being satisfied with staying stuck. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that take place after this. I'm jumping to the end for the sake of time. There's six churches that we should not be, and there's one church that we're called to be. The six churches that we should not be. First of all, the church of Ephesus. It was the church that did everything right. They showed up every Sunday. They tithed because they didn't wanna rob God. They gave above and beyond it because they wanted to try to perform for God. They served, they opened the door, they ran the computer, they prayed with people, they gave in the community, they did everything right. But then the Bible says, but I have this against you you have forgotten the love that you had at first. Some translations say, you have forgotten your first love. But the best translation says, you have forgotten the love that you had at first. Come on, when you first saved me, when you first filled me, when you first called me, when you first anointed me. I done preached too long, and y'all are going silent on me. It's okay, I'll keep going. The church of Ephesus did everything right, but they had forgotten their love that they had at first. The next church, the church of Smyrna. It's the church that would suffer persecution because they weren't willing to submit while they still had the opportunity. It was the church that was gonna have to stay and be tested. It was the church that was gonna go through the trial because they didn't really have faith, but they were just following the feeling. But their faith needed to be tested because it wasn't actually faith until it was tested. In the church of Pergamum, it was the church that needed to repent. Because the church of Pergamum was the church that's like many churches today. They preach a seeker-only message. It's not a seeker-friendly. We should be seeker-friendly, but it's seeker-only. It's an ear-tickling, tapered-down part aspect of the truth. And they became tolerant in their teaching. They allowed people to say things and do things that they shouldn't say or do. And everybody knew that somebody needed to do something, but nobody did anything they were tolerant the church of Pergamum needed to repent the church of Thyatira was the church that allowed the false prophetess it's the church that allowed that girl to come up out that water and still be a Jezebel. It's the church that thought dressing like a harlot was still okay because it's a new generation. It's the church that thought we could look at things as long as we didn't touch. It's the church that didn't acknowledge that what you allow into your eyes gets into your heart. It's the church that became permissive and enabling. And God said, there's, there's no room for that church. The church of Sardis is the church that had fallen asleep. This, this is what I would call the soaking saints. I heard that I heard this this past week. I already had this sermon written. That was what was so awesome. I was like, oh, this is so good. The soaking saints, that's all those people that they line up in lines to go and get healed and go and get delivered and go and get filled with the Spirit again and again and again. And they don't think you're having service unless you lay in the floor for three hours and they get up three hours later and they were just as ignorant when they got up as they were when they laid down and they went back out and said they were filled with the Spirit, but they didn't share the Spirit with anybody. In fact, they just selfishly hoarded him to themselves until they compressed him to a place where they had to go stand in another line in Brownsville, in another line in Russellville, in another line at New Hope. Instead of standing in lines, let's get what God gave us every morning when we wake up and go do something with it all day long. They were sleepy Because they were satisfied with the things that the world was satisfied with, and that's all they invested in. And then there's the church of Laodicea, and this is the one that we know. And this is the one I believe that the Bible says, Lo, I stand at the door and knock. And I've heard preachers use that as an invitation to receive salvation. That wasn't an invitation to receive salvation, that was an invitation to the people that already said they had. Jesus wasn't talking to the lost he was talking to the church hello somebody let me in this is my house not the building your heart tomorrow morning Jesus is gonna knock open the door it's the lukewarm church the lazy church the Laodicean church It's the church that traded their liberty from sin for a license to sin. And let me just say, as I can begin to land this point, grace don't go there. I said they traded their liberty from sin as a license to sin, and grace don't go there. See, the same grace that saved you can keep you saved. The same grace that delivered you can use you to deliver somebody else. i got to wrap this thing up. You just need to know that at no point was Jesus ever resurrected from the dead so that you could stay lost. But so that you could walk in the power of the resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Why can't we be the wrong church? Why does it matter? What's, 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 what's the point of all of this? Well... Verse 10 says, we must all appear. Somebody say all. All. And everybody else will catch it later. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Jesus. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in this body. This temple that has a spirit dwelling in it. Whether good or evil. So here's the church that we want to be in. I'm going to pray because my throat hurts worse than you want to get up. The church that we want to be can be found right at the front of Revelation chapter 3. I find it interesting that in the book of Revelation, the redeemed church is the sixth church. And six normally represents the number of man. But in the book of Revelation, the sixth church represents the number of redeemed men and women. It's the church of Philadelphia. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Verse eight says, I know all the things you do. That's important. And I have opened a door, hallelujah, for you that no one can close. You have little strength. You have little strength. That's okay. Hey, his strength is perfected in your weakness. He doesn't need you to be strong. He needs you to stay faithful. Yet you obeyed. What? Yet you obeyed. What? Yet one more time, just to give everybody an opportunity. I don't want to leave anybody out. Yet you obeyed. And you did not deny me. You didn't deny me on social media. You didn't deny me in person. You didn't deny me on Friday night. Well, you didn't deny me on Saturday. You didn't deny me on Monday when everybody made you mad. You obeyed my word, but you did not become weary in well-doing. You obeyed my word and you did not deny me. Verse 10, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, to endure not just escape. We're not trying to get away from anything. We're trying to make a difference where we are. You obeyed my command to persevere. I will protect you. It's a promise. You apply it wherever you need to. You know what, I prophesy right now, the business is represented in this church The Lord says, I will protect you in the name of Jesus. As you continue to obey, as you continue to endure, I will protect you. I prophesy right now for those employed in this church. The Lord says, it doesn't matter what your business does. I will protect you in the name of Jesus. I I prophesy over those who who teach and and those who uh, minister I mean those who are in the medical field I prophesy that it doesn't matter I, I prophesy over those who are involved in politics at a local level and at a state and a national level the Lord says it doesn't matter what everybody else is deciding I will protect I will protect you I prophesy over every person of influence in this room and watching online right now that the Lord my God may a promise and I pray that you walk out of here in the confidence of this promise that as long as you continue to obey and walk in his word the Lord says I will, there's a great time of testing that is coming, there is a recession there are things that will not work out, this nation has turned its eyes upon God but I will use you and I will anoint you says I will protect you in the name of Jesus the time of testing will come upon the whole world, but it's not going to come on you because you are walking with me.